And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Everyone, uh, welcome to uh, the Vault L, and that uh, at a uh, undisclosed location. Uh, I am going to be your guest host for today. Um, I'm Christopher Hoffman, as you can see here. Uh, we want to welcome everybody who's tuning in. The uh, ch- live chat is open, uh, and if you're listening to us on uh, podcasts or would like to listen to us on podcasts, uh, we are available with a. Uh, vast variety of different uh, podcast options like Spotify, Pocket Cast, iHeart, etc. Um, so you can go ahead and pick that up in the audio version later if you wish. Um, and be sure to go ahead and also subscribe to our newsletter at uh, sci-fi-for-me.com. And um, yeah, today is going to be something special. We've got with us uh, Christopher Lee Parson. He's a writer, director, and producer of a brand new film called uh, Cloud So High. And um, he's going to be debuting it at Fright Fest this coming uh, March uh, the 11th. And um, Christopher is here with us. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that, oh, uh, glad you're here. Now, um, could you give us a little bit of a, a, a sort of a synopsis and a, and a background about uh, Cloud So High? Uh, what's what's the premise of this? Well, in short, it's a, a movie about a, a young war veteran named Paul Sarling who comes home to live with his dad, who's a recovering alcoholic and basically a disgraced ex-cop and um in short uh, the two of them spiral from there um in terms of their each each man's mental health and uh yeah it just it, it quickly goes downhill mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now now um i i did get a chance to see the film um oh, and it's it's really really kind of riveting i i, I really enjoyed it oh, thank um, you now you you had mentioned in uh, some of the uh, the literature that uh, it was inspired partially uh, by the Golden State Killer. Um, I, yeah, par- partially. Basically, the the what what inspired it, it was basically his escalation. Um, and by that I mean that for the longest time the authorities thought, and I don't know if they've proven it conclusively, but they they thought that. He started out as a, a perpetrator called the Visalia Ransacker, who ransacked about 120 something homes in Visalia, California, then moved to Sacramento to become a rapist, you know, having raped 50 women, 5 if you can believe that, and then moved to Southern California and, and, and committed, I believe, 12 murders. So it, it was this escalation of violence that that was uh I'm, you know, I was kind of captivated by, I thought, who is this person? What kind of person is this? So that, that was mainly the, the explanation for that. Okay. Now, now on, uh, 
you mentioned that you were sort of captivated by the uh, the yeah. the length of time that the Golden State Killer uh, remained on uncaptured yeah. uh, and, and the yeah. amount of crime that he was doing. Um, Absolutely. What sort of, aside from th- that fascination of just the breadth of time, mm-hmm. um, what, what sort of uh, else inspired you to uh, make this your first film? Well, I mean, first of all, I like crime pictures Um and and I was I was seeing this one as a mashup of different styles, really, so that it's not exclusively in one place. I mean, you've seen the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what what? Hmm, that's a great question. What what made me want to do it as my first picture? I thought I could make it cheaply, um, and I thought we could take advantage of the wonderful locations that we have here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Those, now, those now are two I, big reasons. And the, um, I, I do see that. Um, you shot in multiple uh, cities in California. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you shot in uh, all of all of us. Excuse me, I'm probably mispronouncing that. All of us, and um, you shot in, um, I believe. Let's see, Anaheim. Am I correct? Or or we didn't we didn't shoot in Anaheim, but but we shot in a. a I think we we shot in Sherman Oaks. We shot Irvine. We shot. Uh, Palos Verdes. Um, you see the sign that says that says Schooner Drive. Mm-hmm. Well, that's in Palos Verdes. Although our our town is called Schooner. Yes. For, just, yeah, just sort of weird reasons. Now, um, this is a this is a really interesting uh, film, and it it's stylistically it, it's got sort of like a, a docudrama feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, were you inspired by uh, Errol Morris, uh, the documentarian? Because um, I noticed some sort of stylistic uh, mm-hmm. kind of callbacks to him. I I wasn't thinking of Errol Morris necessarily, although I love his films. I really do. I always have. Um, one of my one of the first memories I have of actually sitting and watching a documentary and being riveted by it was his movie, The Thin Blue Line. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I have to say, even though, even still, not necessarily by Errol, although maybe subconsciously it's possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a great director to be inspired by. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, yeah. Now, this being your first film, um, yeah. you're no stranger to actually the, the entertainment industry. Um, you, you've worked right. as a, an, an intern for uh, Sony Pictures, I believe, if... if uh, I re- remember correctly. Um, and you're also a, a voice actor um, mm-hmm. who's worked on various video games like Overwatch. And uh, you worked on uh, Rango with yeah. uh, Johnny Depp. Sure. Um, and that now with Rango, um, mm-hmm. in, instead of recording in just a, a sound booth by, by yourself and being uh, you know, like given a direction by the director with no one else to necessarily bounce off of. Um, you were actually acting um, with the rest of the cast in quote unquote real time. Um, with with that different approach um, to your voice acting, were you mm-hmm. able to take any of those lessons that you learned from that kind of approach where you're acting, you know, side by side by your different castmates? 
to um, instructing your actors on this film on, um, you know, what sort of performances to give them? Um, <clears throat> yeah, actually, <laughs> it's a great question. Um, but but what, I, what I learned on Rango in terms of like directing and this kind of thing, um, I would just kind of, you know, place myself strategically off to the side and watch Gore Verbinski and, and company do stuff and just try to stay quiet and just try to analyze what they were doing. But the main thing I learned from Gore is to really pay attention to the, to the performer and what they're doing, because it seemed to me that he was extraordinarily cognizant of when the performer was like ready to go and going to spit out the best take of the line or the scene or what, whatever. So that's what I learned was to really be on your toes and don't let any, don't, don't let the air go out of the balloon, so to speak. You know what I mean? You just got to really watch the actor and make sure that you're, 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 you know, recording when they're at their best. That's what I noticed. Now, now uh, speaking of, uh, of actors, I, uh, we've got John Savage um, from mm -hmm. uh, Deer Hunter. Um, and yes. he plays uh, the senior um, so, uh, Starling. Gene Sarling. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Gene Sarling. And he was a, sure. a former police officer. Um, sure. Now, I noticed that he brings like a uh, kind of a pensive intensity to the role. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> there's a lot of um, sort of unspoken dialogue moments where you can just like feel him, you know, trying to wrestle with what his son may be doing his strained relationship with his son um as yeah. well as his past history um as a police officer um mm -hmm. were there any sort of uh improvisational moments during the film that you allowed uh mr savage to to like go with or was that a specific direction that you uh implored him to like focus on or um that's a good question. You know, wherever there was time and I felt like, yeah, you know what? I don't know that we're getting it with what, what I wrote. Maybe we should improv some stuff. We would, we would definitely do that. Um, but it was really whatever there was the time for, because, you know, cloud so high was um, just a very short shoot. And, and I don't mean in terms of not only the weeks, but in terms of every day, it wasn't like what you hear about, you know, sort of, big budget or normal budget movies where they where they're working 12 16 hours a day we had from 2 p.m to 10 p.m every day and that was about it because of where the movie was shot um <clears throat> it was shot in an area uh, of los angeles called beverly hills post office which is like adjacent to beverly hills but it's not technically the city of beverly hills it's the city of los angeles and for whatever reason, I was told, you know, you've only you got to shut it down by 10. If you're not shutting it down by 10, we're going to have the cops come out and shut you down at 10. So I had these strict, you know, um, time constraints. Um, so, you know, there was only time for for so much. And then we had a and then we had a, a like an hour break for lunch. So we, we would we had like seven hours of shooting mostly each day, five days a week. So I had to move quick. I had to move very quick. And luckily, most of John's scenes are set around that house. So we can safely get all his material and move on. 
now with with that truncated schedule um yeah. because you were in the uh the beverly beverly hills post office area yeah um were you aware of that before you went into production i mean were you able to have some like pre-production time to get with the actors or i i'm trying to remember when i learned this i think we i think we may have learned it like just before we were going to start shooting or something like where the so, so I, I for, and I forget how it came about, but I was I was given word by somebody like we only have until ten, and so I don't know that there would have been time to sort of finagle everything and get a new location or whatever. I don't think there was. And added to that, that house that you see in the picture was at the time my house. My wife and I bought it, and we thought, well, okay, why don't we do it here? you know, why don't we shoot cloud here rather than, you know, trying to rent a house or borrow a house. So, you know, it was kind of one of those things of like, all right, you only got this much time, make it work somehow. And that, that sort of leads into my, uh, my next question, because uh, there's quite a sure. bit of like night shooting uh, specifically yes. uh, like uh, around that house and in of various other locations. Mm -hmm. um, since you had to cut off at 10 o'clock at night, um, yeah. were there any sort of like kind of guerrilla filmmaking things? Did you, did you try and stretch it out a bit or did you just like, you know, shut everything off at 10 and, and start, uh, prepping for the next day? I think, um, most of the, most of the stuff around the house, around the, the, the BHPO, uh, location was, was wrapped up reasonably around 10, maybe once or twice we might've gone a little bit over, but we, we tried to keep it tight um, and just, just work faster and work harder. Um, there were some other times when we were shooting past, uh, past 10 PM, uh, although not that much, uh, but that was like in the Westchester area of California, of, uh, <clears throat> of Los Angeles, I should say, right near the airport. Um, and some of the other locations, maybe here or there, but for the most part, it was shortened, okay. short. And because of those truncated days, um, yeah. were, did it, did it put a strain on like your, your allotted time for like filmmaking? Did you have to like go over a couple of days or, or were you just like really planned down to the minute? Um, I mean, it was it was planned as as extensively as we could, no doubt. But we did add days after our shooting schedule had ended um, because I wanted to get some extra material with uh, with Aaron uh, Perillo, the the wonderful actor that plays Paul Sarling. Because um, I, I kind of we kind of realized, well, you know, we're going to need photos and sh shots and inserts and things like that. Uh, of him, you know, like you, for example, you see, you see uh, Aaron at uh, at Schooner University, that kind of thing. Those those still pictures, we had to get that stuff. So it wasn't photoshopped or anything. We were really going to you know the university and so forth um, to get it. But um, yeah, no, it was it was yeah. The the pickup days there were that were that we added were you know. To get little inserts and, and and stills and all that sort of thing, and then we had the interviews, which were which were shot staggered over, you know, days whenever we could get the actors. Now, um, speaking of the interviews, um, you have like a, a let's see about 
four or five different uh, actors in the interview uh, segments. Um, And uh, then you have, uh, you have them like set up uh, as I mentioned before in sort of like an Errol Morris style, but then you have one actress um, who uh, uh, plays a therapist um, and she's doing an interview, but that's a uh, set in more of a, I guess like a, a, a real time situation um, yeah, where well, it's of, like yeah. shot in, in color and mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. with, with those interviews segments, mm-hmm. um, did you, were you the one like feeding the actors, the uh, like uh, questions for them um, about the interview or, or were they just, uh, you know, going in and like, I've got my character, I've got these lines and, you know, how, how did that performance come about? Well, I, I wrote out basically a list of questions and kind of, you know, and I said, repeat after me. And they'd kind of repeat after me and, and say what I said. And then, you know, we'd get a take or two just sort of with them spitting out just what I said. And then we'd get maybe another take or two that was with them embellishing and, and ad-libbing and adding some additional material and color to it. In particular with an actor named Dan Reardon who plays Martin Ashley, the, the, the father of Karina Ashley. He, he, he's a, in real life, he's a big ham, <coughs> excuse me. So he, he has this tendency to embellish and make it very big and sometimes over the top. And I tell him, Oh no, 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 that didn't happen. So maybe don't say that in the next, in the next take, but uh, they were all great. Um, now, considering this, this was your first film um, yeah. and you do have some like experience, you know, behind the scenes and, and yeah. in uh, front of the camera as well. Um, what sort of challenges uh, came about uh, that you were, um, kind of unaware that we're, we're gonna like going to happen. Were there any sort of like monkey wrenches or or any sort of uh, there were all <laughs> there were all kinds, all kinds. Um, not only physical, but then there were issues with visual effects, which this movie has. Um, it's I you know I don't think of it as a visual effects movie, but there's plenty of of stuff that's that's worked on, you know, and that's done um, models and miniatures and, and forced perspective and things like that. Um, but yeah, there were every day was, was a challenge and every day was something that, that, you know, <laughs> Oh, a new surprise. Even after the movie was done, you know um, we showed it to a clearances coordinator and then we showed it to another clearance coordinator and they both had different things to say about maybe what I should amend and maybe what I should change for legal purposes so yeah every day was was something now uh clearances coordinator um could you just give us a a little bit of an explanation about what that is is that like for musical rights or or no not in this case I I wrote and performed um all the music uh before we shot anything just because i didn't want to be you know i didn't want to have a movie put together and then say oh great now i need music i didn't want to run into that issue so i elected to score everything before we shot anything but a clearances coordinator was somebody that was going to say well i don't you know like with um with aaron's tattoo she said well what do we know about this tattoo and i said well i'm pretty sure that the the tattoo the 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 design is in the public domain 
you know, and things like that. Oh, okay. So we would have to kind of figure out, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, excuse me. That's okay. <laughs> my, my, my pet was, uh, was uh, okay? getting an itch over there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, now, speaking of the soundtrack, um, I noticed that there's a lot of sort of ambient music as, as opposed to like a, a traditional score. Um, right. Was that like, a, was that a conscious choice? Um, how did you go about uh, approaching the, the soundtrack to the film? Well, I, it was I, a lot of it was just what I was shooting for. And I thought kind of like the weirder, the better, but accessible weird, if that makes any sense. Um, and I would just noodle around on keyboards and soft synths and things like that, that I had from my days doing voiceover. I mean, I got a lot of uh, synthesizers and sound libraries to basically cook up phony demo reels at the beginning of my voiceover career. Um, and so I still had that stuff. So I thought, well, you know what, if I'm going to do this movie, why don't I, you know, score it with that. Um, but in terms of what influenced it, I just, I don't know. I, I would go, I would go into the studio uh, late at night and um, that's what came out. And that's what I thought fit the, the story. Um, now with, with this film being about uh, or loosely based on, on the golden state killer. Um, mm -hmm. I heard that there were some anecdotes um, that that you were involved personally that that kind of inspired the film as, as well. Um, yeah. Could, could you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Well, I mean, back you know more than twenty years ago, I was the victim of a of a of a mugging and assault by three perpetrators who I who I never saw, and then I did an interview with a, with a detective over the phone, and she effectively you know, implied that I had something to do with my own attack. And do I know people that are involved in illegal activities and a lot of the stuff that you see in the movie. So I, I just thought, wow, okay, I got to save that for something. And then some years later, I was up at Pismo beach with a then girlfriend of mine. And we were staying overnight, uh, in a, in a motel from the drive back. And, um, she woke up screaming and yelling and I said, what's going on? And she said, there was a, somebody standing by the window, watching us sleep, we sleeping, watching us sleep. And, and uh, she just randomly opened her eyes in the middle of the, of her sleep and, and saw this. And so I thought, Oh man, that's, that's pretty chilling too. So that, you know, those are two, those are two of the things. I mean, there's a lot more, but it's, you know, we only have, an hour so <laughs> oh certainly um the reason yeah. i bring that up is mm -hmm. is is to ask you um using your you know personal experiences as, as well as uh, the the true crime aspect um sure. was there a bit of a, a catharsis like while filming the film um for you know some of the resolution that happens like later on you know, to uh, some of the, the, the film's attackers and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, did it, did it kind of sort of like lift a weight off of your shoulders 
you know, you after mean, you being the uh, uh, experiencing that in real life? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question. Um, okay. Um, con- considering you went through uh, an experience that's similar to that one in the film. Yes. Um, I was just wondering if drawing on those experiences that you had in real life, mm-hmm. if, if that, um, when you were portraying that in film or mm-hmm. having the actress portray that, um, was that something that was difficult for you to do? Did it bring up some, you know, older emotions or was it something that was like, okay, cool. I've done this. Now I have a sense of closure about those experiences. Um, well, I, I felt like I had a sense of closure, you know, way earlier than, than, okay. than the movie. I was just, you know, I, when we made a cloud so high, I just kind of thought, I, gosh, I, I really want to make this my little drive-in movie really kind of thing. Cause that's the way I see it. I don't see it as a, like a big serious thing. I see it as a, like a tiny drive-in movie. Mm-hmm. And um, which is kind of why the, 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 when the scene, you know, a similar scene happens in the movie, it's, it's portrayed in a much different manner, you know? And that's all. Um, no, uh, th- th- thank you. Thank you for. Uh, uh, no, no, no problem. For, for that clarification. Sure. Um, we're going to take a, a short break. Okay. Uh, and then when we get back, um, I'll ask a little bit more about um, about your uh, career in, in, in filmmaking and, and how sure. you uh, got into uh, Fright Fest. Okay. Sounds great. And we'll be back right after this break. Speaking our minds, because Cthulhu told us to. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday for news. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. Every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. everyone uh we're talking with christopher lee parson he is the uh, writer director producer of a brand new film uh cloud so high and uh before the break uh we were uh you had mentioned uh christopher that you were uh kind of looking at this film as sort of like a drive-in kind of feature that's 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 yeah. how you were approaching it um yeah were you sort of inspired by any sort of like, you know, drive-in movies or, or were you that kind of uh, quote unquote indie sort of uh, DIY aesthetic when, when approaching this as your first film or? All of the above. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely the DIY thing. I mean, we had such a tiny budget, of course. Um, but I mean, I was inspired a lot by a movie called Targets, which is a, a movie by... Peter Bogdanovich, who mm-hmm. unfortunately just 
just passed away. Um, yeah, targets w- was one that I that I had thought about through through you know through the years, and I had seen it maybe when I was a teenager, and it stayed with me. I thought it was great. Um, but I I saw that too as a kind of a like a competently made, really well made actually thriller, but you know a drive in movie. Oh, uh, definitely. In in fact, uh, in Targets, uh, there's there's a climatic scene at a drive-in. At a drive-in, uh, right, right, right. Rose Karloff. So, absolutely. Yeah, and that um, great movie. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a, a a great film. Um, sort of a, a underrated gem by by Bogdanovich. Absolutely. Um, now, speaking of uh, Bogdanovich and and that, were there any sort of other directors that inspired? you while while making a cloud so high uh i mean not not really consciously but i'm sure if we dug a little deeper you know i'm sure if i watched the movie again and and really thought about it i'm sure i'm sure it'd come up with a list a mile long you know um i think the like the the ending of the of the movie like the 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 uh, newspaper stuff I, to me feels like straight out of king of comedy it, i mean a little bit like i'm i'm trying like no one can be king of comedy you know no doubt but i feel like i was trying um maybe in vain but i felt like i was trying to be that movie there a little bit with that and and that was a uh, king of uh, comedy by uh, martin scorsese yeah yeah i know pretty lofty huh <laughs> but it, it's it's always great to uh you know take inspiration from uh masters like that so oh my gosh uh, absolutely now because you were a director writer producer and then um a composer yeah you were wearing like so many hats and and obviously you had to like juggle like a lot of different responsibilities uh on mm-hmm. the set and in i suppose off as well um were you were you able to do that like did you have did you have like a, a like a list of what i need to do today or you know how were you able to like keep all your plates spinning i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know um it's another great question these are all really good questions i i think you just have to think of the end product and um um you just have to think about like, what do I need to do to be, you know, artistically successful um, and, and make it all work. That's, that's really the best way I could put it. Just think of like, get to the finish line and get to the finish line with a little bit of class and a little bit of grace and, you know, make the movie halfway, halfway decent. And, and how was it uh, working with, with um, a, such a, a huge team? I, I see that there was like a, the, not only like a, a casting director, but there was also, you know, a, yeah. a, a DP and, and a director of photography, all of that stuff. Con- considering it was your, your first film, um, mm-hmm. were you sort of trepidatious about like having all of these different, uh, the uh, you know, behind the scenes people on the set? Or were you just like, okay, I'm ready to go. You do this, you do that. or Yeah, I, I felt like I was ready to go. And, um, you know, nobody makes a movie alone uh, is the truth. And we had really great people that were working with us. And, um, you know, we, we couldn't have done it without them. 
and, and I did notice um, earlier you mentioned that you use some miniatures as well. Um, yeah. Were those created like before shooting or, I mean, well, I mean, I know they were obviously created before shooting, but I mean, but were they like designed during like pre-production or was it just something that you were um, designed and filmed during pre-production, excuse me, um, or was it something that uh, you like had a specific day during the actual production of the film instead of just like a pickup? Um, it, it, dep it depends on the shot. Uh, with a lot of it, uh, but most of it actually was done in post-production because, you know, we would look at the movie and I would just, you know, just hang my head in shame going, I don't know what this is. I don't know, you know, and, um, and then after a few minutes of, of that, you kind of pick yourself up and dust yourself off and realize, okay, here's what we need to do. Um, but a lot of like the town signs and, and so on, were um, done in, in post and like the, there's a shot with a helicopter, not to give too much away, but that was, that was added in, in post and that was a miniature. And, and with, with post-production, um, mm -hmm. was there a, let's see, was there a lot of uh things that you had to like pick up again like you know like a like b-roll shots or oh yeah like sort of like tightening up the film a little bit no there were there were tons of b-roll shots and um as i said force perspective stuff and miniatures and you know so like there's a shot of of uh, the character Dolores White, where she's giving this interview that's kind of uh, is sprinkled throughout the movie, where there's a background and it looks like a pool. That was like a composite shot, basically, because um, those locate that location with Dolores, um, uh, played by Jessica Lundy, was actually at this at the Sarling House location. But I was scared that you'd recognize it. So I shot a different background at a different location and just did a just kind of a classic split screen, just slid that into the into the shot. And because she doesn't move and the camera doesn't move, it's just a great lock off shot. And now you got this, you know, quote unquote, new location, things like oh, that. that. That's really interesting because I, I, I had no idea, like watching the film, that that was you know, you know, a great shot and that great. I you actually went to like a, a different location with uh, Jessica nope. Lundy and stuff like nope. that. So that, that was really cool. And yeah. um, one of the yeah. interesting things when you were uh, doing like the inserts of like the various uh, newspaper stories and stuff yeah. like that is you can actually um, read some of the story. And that's, there are some films where they have like the headline of the story and like maybe a, a, a yeah, I know. I and, know. That, and then the rest is just a gibberish, but um, it really adds to the narrative uh, of the story that you're able to actually like feel that that's an actual tangible sort of story that, and you can get like more than one or two sentences, you know, beyond the, you know, killer strikes again, you know, quote unquote uh, headline. Yeah. Um, now, was that something that you wrote in post um, production or was that something that, you know, you you like doled out to someone else? No, um, actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I had to do all the uh, the newspaper stuff uh, single handedly. 
Um, not that I wouldn't have doled it out to anybody, but again, we had to remember to keep the budget super low. Um, and, and then it brings up the question of, okay, well, the, if the budget's super low, then when is this movie going to come out? But, you know, it's like, to me, I thought, well, nobody's sitting around waiting for <laughs> my first movie to come out. So I kind of thought whenever it comes out is whenever it comes out, I'm trying to make it the best that we, that we can. But the, uh, the newspaper stuff was done by creating the articles just on a computer and printing it out like on a laser printer. And then on occasion, making a copy of what came out of the laser printer. So you'd have more contrast and it would be like a step down and kind of a resolution. And then I basically tape that to the wall and light it with two modeling. I mean, like just pure old school copy stand work, but without a copy stand. And then just take two modeling lamps, take a pencil and, and measure the, the, the shadow. And if the shadow looked the same, you had pretty much even lighting. So that's how that was done. Um, and then we had an effects artist, a brilliant one named uh, uh, Alexander Muzichenko, who, who came in and added some of the pulp to the paper and some of the crinkles and little things like that. Because I looked at it again and I thought, uh, you know, it looks all right, but it could use that added layer of, of realism. So Alexander brilliantly added that, I thought. That's really interesting because um, at, at first I, I thought that um, it was all sort of, I mean, it doesn't look this way on film, but um, when you were mentioning how you you came up, uh, uh, wrote these, at, at first I thought you had everything generated in the computer and it was just like a file that you could pull up or whatever. And that, um, but just to find out that it was actually, you actually made physical copies of these yep. and, and, and filmed them uh, in sort of a, um, for lack of a better term, analog way that, that, that yeah. that's really, really interesting. Well, you know, what happened was that I showed my wife some of the articles and I said, what do you think of these articles? And she says, uh, okay, the, you know, it looks like you just typed some stuff on a, up on a computer and just now you're showing me these articles. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And she says, you know, she's like, man, don't you remember your own lessons about analog and making stuff have that feel? So she was the one that told me to come print it out, and tape it to the wall and shoot it and all this sort of stuff. And then on occasion with some of the stuff, I remember we were shooting, the camera was set to daylight because it was the movie was shot digitally for, for cost reasons. And then the, the lamps were daylight too. So the, the a lot of the, the newspaper stuff looks yellow as if the it's been discolored and who knows where they got, not all of it, but, but uh, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have done that if my wife hadn't had been just so utterly unimpressed with <laughs> the way the articles looked. She was great. Now um, for uh, a cloud so high, you've, you've actually been shooting this uh, since uh, what, 2013. And that was, was that the, the the very end of it. Yeah. The very end of it. What had happened was we shot the, the movie from like, what was it? September. And then I think we finished in October. And then for the rest of that year, we had just staggered sort of interviews and stuff. Um, and then what happened was we had a, we had another editor who was working on it from 14, from 2014 and on. But then I got booked to be in Final Fantasy 15 as one of the one of the lead characters. I, I played Gladio in that video game. And so that was 
that was four solid years off and on of um, it wasn't like, you know, all day, every day for four years, but it was just enough so that where it was, it was just it interrupted the the completion of the movie. Um, And then by the end of 14, the editor that was originally on it showed me a cut of the movie and I was just kind of kind of crestfallen because it wasn't really what I was looking for. So I just elected to, to, to say, you know, I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to re-edit this thing from scratch. <laughs> and, and that's what happened. So it, it was, you know, an hour here, a couple hours here, an hour here, a couple hours here. You know, um, if, if the weekend, if I felt like I had tons of energy on the weekend, by all means, I would, you know, cut on the weekends. But it was just juggling it with my voiceover career, you know, um, which I'm lucky to have, my goodness. Oh, uh, uh, definitely. Now, uh, considering uh, uh, we went into quarantine and, and and that sort of thing, were there any uh, difficulties uh, with like, let's say like doing pickup shots or did you have to like call back certain actors um, for no. the film or? No, not, not really. We, we, we had it all, um, but it was just a matter of, I mean, it was like, there was often a lot of solid material and I just wanted to whittle it down, but then also make sure that you weren't cutting out anything that was really solid. So that's what a lot of it was. And then I had never edited a feature film before. I had edited shorts and things that I did for fun and doing things with a flying, um, flying a rate, flying head, a rate, a race. Well, I forget what it is now, but the days of, you know, a high eight deck to your, you know, VCR, that, that kind of stuff, the pre, uh, digital, you know, editings, nonlinear editing systems. Um, so I was, I was pretty overwhelmed. And then also it's just like, you, you just, if you've never done it before, it's, it's likely that you're not going to have the eye to really see like, uh, I don't know if you should cut it like that. So yeah, it was, it was, the editing was by far the most difficult thing. And then I was, I was cutting sound and, and, um, and music too. So it was all kind of happening at once, which, you know, it's not how you do it, but we did it. (laughs) It, it, Yeah. It's, it's a very, very kind of, uh, well, not kind of, it's a very cohesive film and that um, you get like a really sense of uh, sort of, uh, unease and, and tension with with the ambient soundtrack and and the cool. different like cutting of or editing of the film itself now once everything was completed and, and mm-hmm. you were happy with it um how how did you uh how did you get interested in submitting it to fright fest and, and what was that process like well i mean the truth is is that when you have a movie like this you really are are best off to just ask every ask everybody go everywhere you can with it and wherever it sticks is where it sticks and if it doesn't it doesn't and uh fright fest was um you know really lovely they they called and they said we really love the picture and we'd love to show it and and so we we worked with them to to uh, to, to make that happen now um is this your first uh first visit to fright fest i mean as a filmmaker yes but i mean have you been to fright fest uh, as like as a fan before or i i haven't actually um i haven't i have not been to 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 scotland either i'm looking very much looking forward to it um 
but no, I, I, I've never been to any of the, the, the festivals before. It's just, I, most of it is just not having the time, you know? Um, I, I know that the uh, Soska sisters uh, with, uh, with American Mary um, debuted at, at Fight Fest as well. Um, and uh, from what I've seen, it, it's, a, it's a really lovely festival. Um, oh, cool. Like a, a lot of uh, really interesting feedback and, and that um, with, with that. Um, now, because it'll be your first time uh, mm -hmm. at a festival, uh, de debuting um, are you going to have like a team with you or, or is it just going to be uh, just pretty much be yourself and, and, and you know possibly your wife and that sort of thing well a lot of a, a lot of uh, a lot of it is because of the the uh, is because of COVID-19 you know um, not everybody's uh, even though we're in the endemic stages, I guess. Not everybody's really like, you know, chomping at the bit, really ready to go travel. So, um, you know, it's, it's only going to, it's only going to be me, uh, going, but, uh, but, you know, I would like to have everybody there, but it's just, I, th I think it's maybe, you know, a lot of people are just still too nervous to go. Now with, with the cloud so high, um, debuting at, at, at Fright Fest um, on uh, March 11th. Mm -hmm. um, after the debut at Fright Fest, are, are, are you um, planning on submitting it to any other festivals, anything else uh, coming up that way or? Um... I mean, it's, it's, uh, it'll probably play at a few festivals uh, uh, in the US um, and maybe other countries as well. But um, for right now, we're just taking it there. And, um, you know, we've got our eye on possibly a late summer, early fall uh, release for the film. Okay. Now, would that be a theatrical or would that be um, a combination of a theatrical and streaming or? I believe it'll be first a theatrical, albeit a, a brief release. And then, um, and then home video and streaming, et cetera, uh, shortly after that. Okay. Now, um, would you ultimately also uh, like to have it like on Blu-ray and, and DVD at some point or? Well, I mean, okay. I, I personally, I love physical media, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've been collecting, you know, DVD and, and the subsequent formats, um, you know, since 97, I think, um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I would, I would love for it to come out uh, on physical media, you know, ideally Blu-ray, maybe 4K. I mean, it's certainly, we shot the movie at 5K and 6K. So, you know, it would, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, th I think it would look, I think it would look really, uh, really terrific in, uh, in, on 4K disc. And the, yeah, it, it's, there's some really interesting, uh, like color choices, especially with some of the, uh, the uh vision scenes and and that sort of thing um yeah so i i think it would it would really pop in in that sort of uh that mm -hmm. medium as well um well uh thank you so very much uh, uh thank you oh my gosh uh and uh it was a, pleasure. a great conversation um and thank you uh, have fun uh with your first time in scotland and and thank you so much Fest. it should be should be really really fun um thank and you. 
please uh, feel free to uh, give us a holler uh, when when you get back and uh, just let us know how things are going with the other festivals and that and we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we'll do. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. So it was, a, um, it was our pleasure, our pleasure. And so, but um, yeah, th that is uh, Christopher Lee Parsons. Uh, he is the director of a brand new film, A Cloud So High, that is going to be debuting um, on March 11th at Fright Fest and then uh, going around the country to different festivals and then hopefully with a, a theatrical release um, in the summer, you said? Late summer or early fall, we, we're thinking. Yep. With with late summer and early fall. And uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, that will about do it for us today here at uh, Vault L. <laughs> Not from live from the bunker. I uh, want again, uh, want to thanks. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank Christopher Lee Parsons again, as well as uh, all of our viewers and the people in the live chat and uh, our listeners over on our podcast. And just want to make sure that uh, if you wish to give us any sort of, uh, you know, tip or maybe a uh, subscribe star membership, that sort of thing, we have those links displayed before you. And um, remember, we are going to be giving away some tickets to the Batman movie coming up. Um, and we'll be uh, having some information about that giveaway in our show notes. And that'll about do it for us here today at Live from the Bunker. Thank you so much for joining us. And we really, really appreciate it. And tomorrow, uh, Jason will be back. And he'll be doing a review of the latest uh, Lois and Clark episode with his youngling, as it were. And um, again, thank you so much and, and have a great, great day, Multiverse. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.